0: Ramblers, late goals, high scoring draws, and VAR madness. Another weekend in the Premier League. It's Monday, the 19th of October. I'm Jules Breach.
1: I'm Luke Moore, and I'm Venetian Hunteraja
0: And another one. There's yeah. been an- another crazy weekend of Premier every week, I think. This will be the week where it all goes back to normal, and we won't have any crazy results or any high-scoring draws or high-scoring results again. And then we've just had another one. It's been amazing.
1: I've I said it before, and I'll say it again: simply too many goals. <laughs> You've had quite enough now. Just if this was a, if the Premier League was a person, you'd be chucking it into rehab. You wouldn't even bother with the intervention. <laughs> Yeah,
0: there's never Just never too many goals. Vish. Sort yourself never out. Too many. No, all I'm fun. loving it. He's going to
1: ruin his life, as has become the custom. Vish,
2: when you talk about this, I always bring you back down to earth by saying Portsmouth lost one nil at home to Doncaster. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, last time we talked about this, it was nil nil. They've now moved up to one goal, uh, but they didn't score it at home.
1: <laughs> the sensible one. So if
2: you are looking for something a little bit more boring, um, the most exciting thing about being a Portsmouth fan at the moment is the comments on the Port- official Portsmouth Instagram. Photo. What are they saying? Get rid of the manager.
0: Kenny Every Jacket. Single...
2: One, one Still said, hanging on though. One said, if Kenny Jacket hasn't lost his job by 10pm tonight, <laughs> this club is finished. You can't offer an ultimatum like that you on Instagram, can you? has been around since 1898, but it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: finished. That's it. Kenny Jacket probably doesn't have Instagram though, so he probably doesn't um, He that.
2: absolutely does not have Instagram. He does not have Instagram. <laughs> no, he doesn't. But anyway, I didn't mean to derail it. I, what, the one thing I would say as well is that, Vish, your name has got double the amount of syllables as mine and Jules is put together.
1: Am I the Premier League of vowels? You are.
0: (laughs) You're the Premier League of names.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: I'd take that.
0: You were at... um, Weren't you
2: at 2-3-3 draws this
1: weekend? Not only was I at 2-3-3 draws this weekend, I was at two games that had... Uh, both had injury time equalisers, so that was a fun rewrite on Saturday and Sunday <laughs> at Stamford Bridge. And he, then, uh, Tottenham fish is such Stadium. a diva, I bet he yeah. puts
0: it in his contract. Only go to games with 3-0 draws? Yeah, Only go to high-scoring draws No,
1: No one wants that. I, want the, I was chuffed. Spurs, 3 all up, 17 minutes, write my report, done. Can get out of here, yeah. enjoy my Sunday night. Did you
0: have the headline done? And those little slugs. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. Did I have the headline What would the headline have been at 3-0? Kane is the best. Can you can you
2: rest assured that um, no Kane one, is able? No sorry. one, no, no one reads match report anywhere anymore. Uh,
0: That's out of order. You say no one reads Vicious work.
2: I, but- I read Vicious w- work religiously <laughs> because I he's a friend and I'm a colleague and someone I respect a great deal but I'm detecting a general trend towards people not reading match reports anymore quite
0: I quite enjoy I think, a match report I think
1: that's true but then I think the the onus is then on the journalist to make them readable you know? yeah. so write about something that you wouldn't have necessarily seen the issue is obviously that the way football fans consume football matches anyway you've got so much analysis on tv you've got the second screen experience yeah. a lot of those it, the, a lot of the intricate things they're quite wise up on but you can you, add your own flair put in your own nonsense you can't if you've only got two minutes to do the fucking report. <laughs> that doesn't help
0: well, well let's talk about the tottenham game i mean it was just absolutely nuts that equaliser last kick of the game i mean spurs literally i mean everyone was saying it could be ten nil. It could it could be anything. This game. Luke was telling West Ham fans to to go home, not not to bother. Or, well, not go home, but just switch off the telly and not bother <laughs> not bother watching the rest. I said, go and do
2: something else. Anything else. Don't put yourself through That's it. It's it. Sunday. Yeah. After fifteen minutes, I had to apologise. I had the, to apologise to them.
0: Nine minutes left, and you're three nil up. It's the first time in Premier League history that that has ever mm. been done. It was amazing. And you were there to witness it, Vish. There will be so many West Ham fans so jealous of the position you were in to see Lanzini's goal in the flesh. I mean, it was scenes in the stadium without there being any fans there because the yeah. celebrations from the players, it was incredible. I was
1: going to ask, actually, did that come across on TV? Yeah, it did. Because it did. Cause of, of all the games that I've covered without fans, that was the loudest I've, I've, I've ever heard at a ground. That was right. pretty incredible, actually. And it was, it kind of, it came from, I think... Uh, Basically, where where we're sat, we're right behind the dugout. So, you know, you've got the noise anyway, all the noise coming from the managers and uh, substitutes as well. But then behind us in the corporates, uh, you've got, or what used to be the corporates, you've got, you know, some of the, I suppose the backroom staff weren't necessarily in the dugout with you during a match, and so you kind of had that for for both sides, and obviously more predominantly Spurs the analysts as well. Normally, up yeah, hard, yeah, and and you know just the extra coaches who, because obviously because you can't sit in the dugout, everyone's got to spread out, so more people are behind you now. Uh, so it did feel like you were a bit surrounded. And I, I don't know who the bloke was, but he he was someone who worked for West Ham, and I thought was he was quite funny actually because everyone involved with Spurs were going nuts all the way through because, you know, there were three in a lap. Everyone was, you know, joking and laughing. Gareth Bale comes on and there were all these cheers. And when Lanzini scored, he went mental. <laughs> and he just, he, every now and again he'd just go, clap that, clap that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and it was, I think the way it happened as well was all the more remarkable because... Balboina scores that goal, having been at fault for the first goal, and it's 82 minutes then, and you're like...
0: You could tell they all thought that was a consolation, the way they celebrated yeah. that goal. They didn't think, oh, OK, 3-1, we're back in it now. They, yeah. they, they certainly looked like they just thought, OK, we've got a consolation, let's just see how the rest of this goes. Yeah. But then it was a 3-2 goal that then you saw the belief.
1: Yeah, and and even, you know, it, it was an own goal, but West Ham actually worked out really well to, to get that opportunity and yeah just the way Lanzini hits that you you could it was pretty depressing to be honest when I left and I was like looking at the reaction online and you, you know you could see videos of West Ham fans watching it together and going absolutely nuts and you're like god imagine like mm. the where the goal was scored in the as you watch it from TV uh, I suppose on the far corner a Left corner from the TV point of view is where the first time fans would have been. And just imagine the scenes there if they'd have, had if such they'd have a good gone in. Yeah. It,
0: they? I,
2: I think it's probably a little bit harsh to say that Balbuena was in fault with the first
1: goal. Oh, yeah, no, no, I, I think he was. I mean, I just, where, where are you, why are you showing Son on your right foot? Did you not yeah. watch any of the highlights of the last, <laughs> sure. you know, two but, months? But there's an element of Ariane Robin about
2: this. I mean, you can get frustrated at defenders for continually allowing Aaron Robin to do that throughout his career. I mean, Son is one of the best players in the world. Yeah, he he's, is he's yeah. an outstanding Premier League operator, and I don't think for one minute that Barbu didn't know what was going to happen. I just don't know if he could do anything about it. I'm not sure many defenders could have.
1: I think. I think what he 45 seconds in. Yeah, but I but I think what um what he had in his favour, Bueno was the fact that he had a quite a good starting point when he was chasing after Son. and I think he just overcommitted one way and Son just
2: maybe. But I easily. think
1: I, I think I know what you mean. Though. You're absolutely right, and
2: I, I, I'm, not, I'm not accusing you of this, but generally speaking. I think there's a very much a a trend towards finding fault with every goal that's scored, and sometimes it's just like, well, attacking players are by their very nature more inventive, more creative, they're usually faster, and they're certainly more skillful than defensive players, and that's just how it is yeah yeah and 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 for that goal to be scored at such devastating pace that that ball over top was perfect the um the cut sight. I just think it's very difficult to deal with when someone's moving to, with you, towards you at that pace with that intensity and you're the body shape you have to be to, to kind of try and show him one way, but you can't because it's, it's all basically impossible. And, and Aaron Robin basically does it or did it so often that you went beyond being frustrated with defenders just going, well, there's nothing anyone can do about yeah, it. His, yeah. his close control and his pace is so good and his, his execution is so good that there's nothing that you can do about it. I thought it was an incredible game of football. It was such a good game of football. And I think if I were a Spurs fan... The way they ceded control of the game in the second half, I thought, was absolutely scandalous. I mean, the, the post-match analysis, where I think it was Graham Suness and Darren Moore, I think, Darren Moore, yeah, yeah, we're talking about how you know West Ham didn't give up, and that it was it was all down to West Ham's endeavour, et cetera, et cetera. Now, of course, that's that's true, but it's only half the story. Mm-hmm. There's no way at this level of football, if you're three nil up. Perhaps you could argue being at home doesn't matter as much anymore. But if you're 3 up at home, nonetheless, you should be conceding that much control of the game to the opposite team and, and creating the um, the environment for this to happen. That that Manuel Lanzini goal was a, a, a wonder strike, a one in a million, and it got me out of my seat. And everyone loves football for that reason. You can't blame Spurs for Lanzini scoring that goal, but what you can do is you can blame them for creating the conditions to allow that position to be got to in the first place.
0: And for not killing the game off, because at 3-0 up, as we said, and it could have been more at half time, going into that second half, the questions weren't really about... Can West Ham get back into this? This was how many goals are Tottenham now going to score in this second half? Because Son and Kane in the first half were absolutely devastating. I actually think it's one of the best I've seen Kane play recently. 100%, he was 100%, yeah. unreal in that game. Again. Oh God, impossible. like just watching his movement and yeah. everything. And again, he's added another assist to his game. It's just he's just unstoppable at the moment. So going into that second half, I I'm completely with you, Luke. It was more for me. So incredible how Tottenham didn't kill the game off. And and of course, we wanted that fairy tale of Gareth Bale coming on as, an, as a neutral. I kind of wanted it. um, Coming on and scoring a goal on his second debut for the club. And the fact that he was in at 3-0 and could have made it 4-0 for that. Was it at 3-0? It could have made it 4-0. It could have made it 4-2. 4-2, was it? Yeah. That I mean, was yeah. it. So, um, yeah, just that moment where that could have been... It just would have been magical, wouldn't it, for for Bale, and it, and it was a great run. But just to you know, put the ball wide, just such um, a shame. But they just didn't kill the game off.
2: No, and one of the, one of the funny things about uh, modern football is that um, obviously every club has its own official Twitter account, and they're mm-hmm. and they're morally obliged, really, once they start to update <laughs> fans on what's happening. Right. So, if you look at the Spurs official Twitter. It went from, as you can probably imagine, being super excited about everything that was going on until they just tweeted at the end of the game, 90 plus four, goal for West Ham, Lanzini from distance. (laughs) That was it, full stop. That's all they put. Because they can't be seen. nothing else to say. Yeah, they can't even say, to be fair, that's a brilliant goal. Yeah. Because the fans are going to pile on them. So just think of the social media operator in that time, working overtime on a Sunday. You know, having to do that because it's not an easy job, particularly when it's going badly.
1: No, no. So I I wrote an overnight piece for The Independent about um, Harry Kane's performance. You've been keeping busy. Yeah, well, it's I was I, 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 I started with the intro with the um, it was a bit like me complimenting the taps on the Titanic after that. Finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. the um, but he, you know, Jules, you were saying that he was he's brilliant. He's added a new dimension to his game. But he was everywhere. everywhere. Like he he blocked a, so, a shot from yeah, there, that was unremarkable from uh, from the West Ham right back Kouval, uh, at the end of the first half. He was clearing headers from his front post. He was the one who cleared the header that Winks ended up duffing to Lanzini yeah. for that last goal. He was yeah, just. He's all a very like,
2: good defensive forward. He, he's a bit like Drogba in that mould. He he's is, really important in his own yeah. penalty area. And piece. but
1: but there was a moment where when West Ham were, you know, were coming back in that in that second half, where he defended a corner and uh, Spurs were counterattacking, and you could tell he was just off his feet by this point, and he was just kind of strolling back, and eventually got the ball just after the halfway line because Spurs were kind of resetting, and and it's in my mind it tallied with him, or well, rather with West Ham coming back into it because he was holding up the ball. He was, you know, dropping deep and he was giving everyone behind him a chance to set as well. But it also ties in not just with, uh, with Bale coming on and, uh, you know, having that, having that missed chance, but he came on with Harry Winks who replaced Ndombele. And so I, I, you know, I tweeted this piece today and a couple of Spurs fans have come back to me and said, well, I wonder actually if it was more Ndombele and obviously Ndombele, someone who's constantly working up to being fully match fit for 90 minutes pretty much tallied as soon as he came off suddenly Spurs lost a bit of structure and West Ham were able to come through as well I personally think what's happened is they thought we've got a busy week coming up we've got europa league
2: we've got a lot of fixtures coming along and we've got to try and manage our players and their and their fitness and stuff like that and they just completely as I, as I keep saying they've completely ceded control of the game and and have been punished for it and it, oh, i cannot get out of my mind the stuff that marina used to s- would say mm-hmm. on that amazon or nothing documentary you're nice guys but nice guys you never <laughs> win you've <laughs> got to be nasty you've got to finish it you've got to, you've got to kill games and y- y- they didn't do that and so what we were left with was an amazing entertainment experience, but what Spurs fans were left with was <laughs> against West Ham as well. It's just terrible I, do find, terrible. I do
0: find it amusing though, that Jose Mourinho's Tottenham side have now kind of become the entertainers because there are so many goals in all of their matches, scoring and conceding wise. So they've become a very entertaining team. I do think, Vish, as you say, though, credit deserved to West Ham. And I think that this comeback against Tottenham it probably, you know, Luke, you have said that a lot of that was down to Tottenham not killing the game off and the fact that they should have been been better in that second half. However, they probably have also taken belief from the way they've started this season. I mean, a huge victory, a surprise victory, I think many would say against Leicester last time out before this, before the international break and that 4-0 win against Wolves as well. It's actually been a really good start to the season for West Ham. And, and then picking up a point when you're 3-0 down against Tottenham, They'll have quite a bit of belief now and a bit of confidence moving forward.
1: Yeah, definitely the group of players. I still think West Ham fans are there waiting for something else to happen. Just like what? I don't know. Maybe like a sinkhole under the London Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of club, aren't they? But uh yeah, absolutely. I, I think the you know, that kind of that kind of finish yesterday, the last minute winner, the scenes of utter bedlam mm-hmm. that binds players together that little bit more doesn't it you can't really create that kind of moment but they mm. can definitely build on it so mm. yeah, yeah promising promising signs as well uh, David Moyes likened himself to David Pleat yeah. when um, he was jumping on the that was funny pitch, celebrations was quite were sweet. brilliant yeah, yeah. No, and, uh, iconic
0: yeah you, and play. you know you already mentioned Thomas Suchek I love him I actually mm. love watching this player, and he's also in my FPL team. And I had a right dilemma this weekend as to whether to start him or Ryan Brewster. I actually went for Brewster in the end, and, and thankfully I wasn't punished for it. But he is such a great player to watch. He's always in the box, always attacking everything. Mourinho said that he thinks Moyes has found his new his new Fellaini.
2: That's a dig, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, <laughs> really. It's hard not from that not to sound bitter in the circumstances. <laughs> but, but yeah, he's he's good at getting into the box late and and his movement and his and his um mobility and his engine all seem to be
1: excellent
0: so we also sh- we
1: should point out that when Mourinho was at manchester united you know, he had his own for lately. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He wasn't shy of using it. Yeah. Uh,
0: all right, let's move on to another draw from the weekend. The Merseyside derby, Everton 2, Liverpool 2. Again, what a game this was. I think we should probably start, before we go into actually the, the details of the match, just that we all send our best regards to Virgil van Dijk. This is horrible news to hear about mm. how bad this injury actually was. Because at the time in the match, it you know, he did actually end up walking off the pitch. So it didn't look like it was going to be as bad as it is. But... Yeah. They are saying it's probably going to be roughly around eight months he could potentially be out for. That probably rules him out of the Euros as well as the rest of this Premier League season. Hugely damaging to Liverpool's season, hugely damaging to him as a player personally as well and and his recovery. But, you know, as all players do when they get injured, he said, you know, I'm going to try and come back stronger and you imagine he will. But uh, that's just devastating news for Liverpool fans and for Virgil.
1: Yeah,
2: from what I know of him, uh, he's a mentality monster, Van Mm -hmm. Dyke, And he actually released a statement which is befitting of that where he said, you know, I don't get too high on the highs and I'm not going to get too lows on the lows either. I'll be working hard to get back and you'd be a fool to doubt that. Um, But the circumstances of the injury were i think disappointing to say the least Shambolic. and i think i think so and i think look you know michael oliver's a good a good ref he's, in my view he's one of the better refs in the premier league yeah um but what needs to be understood and i don't think what's been said enough is part of a referee's remit is to protect the players and the safety of the players is is important and for Jordan Pickford to to do what he did, I'm not suggesting there was any kind of malicious intent. I just think it was a poor decision, and he's capable of poor decisions as as we've seen. But there has to be some kind of example set there. You, you 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 need to show that actually, if you do if you do make that kind of decision and you do behave in that reckless manner, you're going to be punished for it because what that's going to do is hopefully deter people in the future from doing it. Because that 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 injury to Van Dyke is okay. It's probably going to be seven or eight months. It could have been worse. Yeah. could have been much worse. Could have been two broken legs. You know, you, people need to... Let's get this absolutely right. Part of the reason the laws have been changed to be a lot more hard on big tackles with excessive force like that is just because of the athletes you're dealing with these days. The strength and the pace and the power of all of them is is, is ridiculous. You guys in this room will both know you go and interview a football player now. They're, they're just like... They're, they're, they're hewn out of rock. They're massive. They're strong. And they can hurt each other if they go into each other at pace like that. And the recklessness of what Pickford did um, to Van Dyke again, I'm not suggesting it was malicious, I'm sure he didn't mean to hurt, hurt a player. It was just horrendous. It it's was absolutely horrendous. And he should have been sent off for it and he should have been banned for it and he should because it should deter other players from thinking about doing the same thing or thinking twice if they're going to even extinct, instinctively do it because the protection of the players is really important.
0: Yeah, everything that um, a red card should be when you look up the definition of it in the laws of the game where... What decides whether it's a yellow or a red card? It's recklessness. It's endangering the safety of the player. This tackle was everything in that, and I think it's actually crazy that this this wasn't a sending off.
2: Well, they got. I think they got. What happened was, Jules. I think they got um, all the the VAR officials got confused between offside, violent conduct, and Mm. and um, what the other one is um, serious foul play. It depends on whether the ball's in play or not. And like you say, they got blindsided by the offside decision. We saw the best and the worst of Pickford in that game. We saw Jordan Pickford's capabilities, the full spectrum of Jordan Pickford in one game, capable of making these amazing saves where you think, where's that come from? Yeah. But at the same time, capable of making just the most rash decisions you can ever imagine. And unfortunately in this situation, it's, it's ended up with the, with the serious injury of one of the world's best football players. And that's impactful. And that should be commented on. And it should have been a red card to stop that happening again in the future.
0: Are you expecting that we there might be retrospective action for this then, Vish, with everything we've just said there? The fact that he wasn't punished because Virgil van Dyke was offside, could you then relate that to other incidents? If we think back to, for example, the England game when Reese James was sent off after the full time whistle was blown, or he got a red card after the full time whistle was blown, can you relate it to a, a, a similar situation like that? Where okay, well the game's over, so why are you sending him off? Well, he's offside. Why are you not sending him off? Are there comparisons there?
1: No, I don't. I don't think so because the what Rhys James did was out of line, regardless of whether it was in play. Whereas I think there was, I think as part of the ruling, because it was dealt with, quote unquote, in that they you know, it happened in the match, even though there was a window where it was out of play because they've already looked at it. I don't think they, they can actually do that.
2: But there's been conflicting reports about whether they've actually looked at it or not. Like the Athletic report right, okay. reporting something different to what someone else was reporting about whether it was looked at. Some people say it was checked and some other people are saying, no, it's just checked for offside.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know that they can do that because I've seen a few incidents like that that haven't had the same, you know, dramatic effect where you know, the whistle goes a bit early and someone gets taken out. I think you, you do see it quite often. You just, it's never been as, quite as dramatic as that. Um, what I do, I, you know, I, I'm not going to, What well, I don't disagree with, with what Luke said. What I am finding a bit peculiar is the fact that people like Graham Souness are coming out and talking about it, like, you know, saying it's assault outright and things like that and saying that he He would should... know, to be fair. Yeah, I, I, well, I just don't think that language is particularly helpful. I think if, um, you know, the reasons we've outlined for the... I suppose, the outrageousness and disgracefulness of this tackle are all pinned on Jordan Pickford, the footballer, the footballer of of being rash and being someone whose judgment has been called into question many, many times. I don't think there was any particular malice in that. I don't think he went in there to break his leg. And I I think the fact that I've even said that is probably ridiculous anyway, because I think we all deep down know that. And this is very much a a football thing of, of a player who needs to work on that side of his game rather than that side of his humanity. Yeah um but yeah I, I think the the language is used and especially all the death threats that jordan pickford has been getting on social media has been pretty outrageous i know obviously um Stokhanov and uh, um you know Melissa reddy's podcast have talked about this particular issue um i think we need to be a little bit wary of, of kind of stoking up that ill feeling in that manner but at the same time you know you're absolutely right we do have to protect the players the red you know i i was going to pull you up actually when you, when you when you started that point because I don't know if it was necessarily the referee's... The referee could have done anything to stop that. But as you, as you, as you rightly said at the end there, it's a, you know, it's a message not just to Jordan Pickford, but to everyone else to to just watch yourself in that situation. I don't really know as well what he was trying to achieve. By well, that's that. the point. That's where it does come into play. That's when the idea of his
2: decision-making process does come yeah. into play, because it's not actually beneficial for him to, 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 to approach the situation in that way. I mean, I'm not a goalkeeping expert, um, but I don't imagine that's in a textbook for him to behave and for him to react and to and to throw himself out as he did, particularly with both feet up in the air. I mean, it's almost like, it like he was attempting the kind of thing Schmeichel used to do, where he used to starfish himself when there was a shot coming in, mm. but there wasn't a shot coming mm-hmm. in. And so look, I, I'm sure Jordan Pickford feels absolutely terrible today. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he's beside himself. Jamie Carragher spoke quite eloquently about the fact when he... A challenge in which he regretted, which could have resulted in the uh, the, the, the leg break of Nani in a Liverpool maybe Man United game, and he said, you know, he felt awful about it. He didn't want to be responsible for being that for injuring a player in that way. I get all that. We saw Son; it happened to Son with yeah. uh, Andre Gomez. Mm. You know, these things happen. I understand that. I'm not saying that Jordan Pickford should have been sent off because I think Jordan Pickford. Was trying to hurt someone, or because I just think the laws of the game exist. There's a framework there for yeah. exactly that reason. Yeah. And whether he meant it or not, it's completely irrelevant. Mm. It, the fact is, he's endangered the safety of another player, behaving in a reckless manner. And regardless of Van Dyke, if Van Dyke got up and run off, or whether he's been out with an ACL, the the, the outcome for the disciplinary action is exactly the same. It exactly. should have been implemented, and it wasn't, and it looks particularly bad when they can fiddle. While Rome burns, effectively by spending five minutes with their little pen on a fucking min- millimetre offside, and then get that right, and they'll go, well, it's either offside or it isn't. There you go, and they'll sort of tweak their glasses and you know rub their chins, but on something that's so obvious, they can't get it right. It's, it's, it's. To me, it's, it's, it's it's embarrassing the standard's got to be a lot better they've got to be able to, they've got to be able to judge in the moment because what they're paid to do and judge it properly mm. and if they can't it doesn't look good for anyone so it certainly doesn't look good for you know Virgil van Dijk's knee it's got to be you know reconstructed or whatever it is so Anyway, it was a great game. Yeah, I was about to say that. that. (laughs) I was
0: going to say, aside from all of that, it was an absolutely brilliant match to start the Premier League weekend. I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is on fire. Again, scoring in this game and scoring in a Merseyside derby must be the best feeling for either Everton or Liverpool players. As you say, Luke, the ending to the match was incredible as well. Jordan Henderson thinking he's got the winner that late on in the Merseyside derby in such an important game when Everton had won every game since the start of the season. And then, as you say, with that millimetre offside, oh, that was just a crazy <laughs> end to the game, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, no, it was absurd. Loved it.
0: Loved Dom- it. Dominic Calver
1: lewin are we getting to the stage where he needs to ensure his head? You know, like oh, yeah. models, and mm-hmm. like a hand model would ensure their hand, like J-Lo. Yeah. What do you ensure, She... Um, my, on the jazz. <laughs> yeah, you have to, legally, <laughs> legal, legal, value, requirement,
2: yeah. legal requirement. Yeah. Legal requirement. The
1: only I value sure. I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. On Saturday,
0: we, I was watching the game with Andy Brassell actually, because we were at BT together and um, we were talking about Dominic Calvert-Lewin's hang time. It's ridiculous, oh, yeah. isn't it? it? It's as good as, would you say, he's up there in terms of the Amount of hang time he gets, Ronaldo gets Cristiano Ronaldo. That's what we were talking about. Yeah,
2: my my, heading used to be a lot more prevalent in my memory. Used to get some, I to say, my day. Used to get some amazing, (laughs) used to get some amazing amazing, like headers of the ball. Christian Vieri, Mario Yardell. David Hurst, David Hurst, David Platt was a good one as well.
1: Um, Dion Dublin, famously, yeah, headbutting
2: other heads. There you go. Sticking stick that on anything. Big Duncan Ferguson. Big uh, Duncan We haven't mentioned Richardson, who actually did get a red oh, card Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So much, so much action in this game, isn't oh, it? It's difficult. It's... We've got to stick to a runtime.
0: I oh, know, we've got to go to a break now. <laughs> yeah. uh, after this, emails and loads more. Another high scoring draw to talk about that Vish was at. He gets about.
2: Cleared. And wings can get it away. Lansy! Oh no, 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 no,
0: no. What a goal. Oh, it's so polite, isn't it? Yeah,
2: I know. <laughs> the deal with the devil, you got to do if you run a fan channel. If you get to, you get to wax lyrical when it suits you. But you got to be on
1: camera when that kind of stuff. Oh, happens.
0: Spurs fan TV. In case you missed it, that's what that was from. It was yeah. ever so polite, wasn't it? Can you imagine if it was Arsenal fan TV? That yeah, yeah. I know.
1: Yeah, I thought it was Fulham fan TV. To be fair, <laughs> yeah. um, if, it. if it was
2: Arsenal fan TV, um, they would have called for Arsene Wenger to be fired, <laughs> even though he's not been in the job for some time. Um, Betway football update, Jules. Before we go to the emails, um, entry to Betway football. Score is free. Each week, you pick the first goal scorer in Betway's four selected matches to, uh, for your chance to win the weekly fifty thousand pound jackpot. Um, game one: Sheffield United v Fulham. Andy picked Rian Brewster.
0: Not the highlight of the weekend.
2: No, it was result. The result of the uh, the first goal score was Adamola Lookman. Crystal Palace v Brighton. Two goals. I chose Solly March. it's out oh. so, solidarity, solidarity to <laughs> you, Jules. Like it, like it. But it was Wilfred Zaha. Uh, game three: Spurs v West Ham. Shout out Kate Mason. Ooh, she okay. for Son Correct after 46 Spurs seconds Man, They know their stuff And um, Leicester v Villa Marcus picked Harvey Barnes But of course He left it late But it was Ross Barkley We'll have another one of those On Friday As we do every Friday
0: Nice one Alright It's now Time for this
1: Just even a show us-
0: Lovely. Show at footballramble.com to get in touch. We love hearing from you guys. This one is all the way from Canada, from Kaiwai in Toronto, who says, hello, Ramblers. I've come to realise, oh God, we're talking about VAR again, uh, why the marginal VAR offside decisions are so unedifying for me personally. The powers that be are deploying technology in the wrong way and asking for a high degree of accuracy for the wrong part of the game. Uh, So during the post-match, the Merseyside derby that uh, Kawhi was watching, Michael Owen said that he was a believer that offside was binary, that you're either on or off, vaguely remembering that Michael Owen is big into horse racing i suddenly saw a lot of similarity between how var was drawing lines and how horse races sometimes have to go to a photo finish and that last word is key finish it suddenly dawned on me that it really only makes sense from a fan enjoyment perspective to applying this type of high accuracy technology to the ultimate point of a competition just like the finish line I think fans instinctively understand when a horse wins by a nose or if a swimmer touches, out touches another by milliseconds, because that decision determines the final outcome of that race. This is maybe why goal line technology feels so much more natural and people are okay with it, bar the one big cock up that we all know about, because goals are sort of ending points to games. So he says now for offsides. You don't win or lose by how often you're caught offside. So much still happens after the offside moment. Passes, shots, potential leg breakers, knee destroyers, etc. Uh, and he says, love this show, guys. Keep up the great work. Does he have a point?
2: Um, kind of, but I think what hasn't been taken into account is the idea of what came before. Of, of that We had a system in place before, and this was marketed in a way to say that improves that system. And people don't agree that it has improved it. It's not improved the experience. And arguably, it's not even improved the decision. And the reason for that is because something that we didn't mention earlier. But in one of the games, I want to say it's possibly the, the, the Henderson goal. But I might be wrong. So don't quote me on that. But the principle remains, which is that when they take the frame... It's not always clear no. whether it's the frame where the ball's being kicked or not. That's
0: the that's the annoying and part. And sometimes
2: you sometimes feel like you can see it being taken before after the ball's left the the, the, the passer's foot or something. Mm. The point being that you're trying to get to such a level of accuracy where you know there's 24 frames per second or whatever it may be in in that format of 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 of, of um, broadcasting. You might the the foot might be contacting the ball for three or four of those frames. So what frame are you taking? It might even be more than that. So the point is, you're trying to split hairs in a way that you're not actually sure you can split hairs, and that's even before you get into the thickness of the lines and all that kind of crap. So, look, I, I I was against VAR generally before everything came in. I'm still against it now, um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and, and this is probably one of them.
1: We could, yeah, I think the past thing is is something that I've found to be the most frustrating thing. We um, could put a sensor in the ball so that you know when it's been. Yeah, been touched and out of contact. I mean, that's just too much. I know I said that facetiously, and the fact yeah. that you both agree well, with me shows us where we are at this point. <laughs> Who knows what they're going to do next, mate? It's absolutely ridiculous.
0: They need to do something. That's that's for sure. Because at the moment, as you say, that the where they draw the lines from when that ball is passed makes a massive difference. That would have made that goal onside if they'd taken it a frame back.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then you've got a completely different result and emotional outcome to that game than what there was.
2: Well, big thanks to Car for, Wai uh, for, yeah, for, for, for articulating it anyway.
0: Yeah, very good. Uh, right, next from Robert Scott, who says, uh, if Carlo Ancelotti had an absolute meltdown before the transfer window and signed Tim Ream as a right back, <laughs> he could have the nicest sounding backline of all time. Dean, Mina, Keane... And Ream, mm. can any club top that? I can top that with Brighton. Do you remember uh, our promotion season, first season in the Premier League? Um, we had the most ridiculous names for some of our some of our team. So at one stage, we it sounded like a, a lad Stagdo. There was Dunk Duffy and gross. <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah. You should have had... There was of, more in there as well, but I can't remember the rest.
1: You should have had... Instead of football shirts, you should have had those like lads tees with their nicknames yeah. on the back. Like Marbella 06. Or oh, Pussay Patrol. Like in Instagram. we <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> We're back again, yeah. Leave me out of it. Leave me out of it. Um, <laughs> I, what
2: much. I would say to Robert is that I don't know how this email's made it through the net because I don't remember Tim Ream ever playing right back. <laughs> and what he's essentially saying is, isn't it funny if you put all these players' names yeah. together? It's not the most scientifically kind of forensic uh suggestion
1: no, nothing will be um
0: oh, you're such a spoil sport luke know, yeah. get can, let robert, let robert get have fuck. some fun you can, you can tell
1: dad's back in the studio can't you <laughs> yeah absolutely there was um, one
0: of us is over 40 in here <laughs>
1: there was uh, leave fish alone <laughs> in uh, 2015 uh qpr had a situation where they could have had a, a, a passing axis as it were of um Jordan Much, Richard Dunn, and a fullback who played a few games called uh, Yunsuk Young. So it could have been Dunn to Much, Much to Young. Oh, very oh, nice. I love <laughs> that. It's
2: like the, the old-famous cricket, uh, the bowlers holding the batsman's willy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know that one? No. Michael Holding against it, Peter Willie. The batsman? Yes. yeah, yeah. And the comments that came in and said the bowler's holding the batsman's Willy.
0: Excellent. Yeah, you like oh, that? I love See, that.
2: Robert, that
1: one
0: worked oh, All over that, <laughs> all over that. Uh, if you can top that with your club or with any footballers that you can think of, uh, send them in. Love it. Show at footballramble.com. Right, let's talk about another game from the weekend. Vish was there as well. Stamford Bridge, Chelsea 3, Southampton 3. Another late equaliser, another unbelievable game. A couple of brilliant goals from Chelsea as well. Please, for Timo Werner to get off the mark and get his first two Premier League goals.
1: Yeah, two very Timo Werner goals as well. I mean, the, the dummy for the first That's one. That's the
0: position he used to play in though, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So when I, when I watched him for RB Leipzig last year, there were, you know, I was, we obviously knew that he was going to come to the Premier League because if it wasn't going to be Chelsea, it was going to be Liverpool. Obviously, they were quite heavily linked with him from the start. And so, you know, you end up just watching him a bit more. And you never really saw him play as that last man. Maybe if, you, if he was from 10, 15 years ago, he would have been playing off the shoulder. But he was a bit more on the wing. He was a bit more considered. He was quite efficient in the way he would make his runs. He wasn't always just trying to do the same thing over and over again and occasionally get the ball deep. And you realise why. It's because he's smart enough to, to beat a player, you know, in this instance without even touching the ball, just dummying it and running around Bednarek. And he's got the pace to just burn absolutely everyone. And it was that second goal from, you know, the Jorginho pass, which is a little bit of a hopeful ball where he actually play that, I suppose, old-fashioned kind of whip it type role. But then even when he got onto the end of it, to lob the ball over the keeper and just nod it in it was, mm. it was great stuff. And again, another situation where Chelsea got themselves into a great position and let Salampton back into it. Mm.
2: They can't stop conceding late goals, Chelsea, it seems. That, that seems to be a kind of hallmark of their play, um, which is not a great habit to be in. And I feel a bit like a broken record talking about them, but my opinion of them is exactly the same as it's been for weeks, which is that they're awful without the ball. They're awful. In this case, they're awful against the press. And uh, their goalkeeper is nowhere near good enough. Like, it's as simple as that. Like, the, the, the. the it's, Here he goes it, again on about <laughs> Keppa. Well, it's got to the point now where every single game, he essentially guarantees the other team a goal. So, I mean, and in, in football... That second
0: goal was just... Well, it was it's a farcical. Mess, wasn't it? it it's was absolutely
2: farcical.
1: It's pretty funny
0: too.
1: It? <laughs> it's
2: hilarious, yeah. It's hilarious if you're not a Chelsea fan because it's entertaining to watch. Two but, different people hit the post,
1: <laughs> as in human beings hit the
2: post. <laughs> yeah, I know. In that goal. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, we talk about it. I, mean, I talked about it with Andy, I think, a week or two ago, which is that, you know, even the top players only have the ball at their feet for a fraction of the runtime of a football match. So what you do without the ball is really important. It's the most important thing arguably.
0: Jamie Vardy being one of those key players in that in that sense. I think
2: I think I think the, all I, th- I think all the top players are amazing without the ball. Liverpool I mean it goes understated how good Liverpool are without the ball, you yeah. know. Um, and Chelsea just aren't that good without it, and I don't know why. And I know why Kepa's having a nightmare because he's got no confidence, because he keeps being chucked in. Now I know this situation was different because I think Mendy was um, unavailable,
0: injured, yeah. Uh, so
2: he had to, so he had to play, and you know you've really gonna, he has to keep stepping up. And fair play to him actually for for being mentally tough enough to step up there and, and keep going. Uh, I res- I, re- I respect and admire that a great deal. But he's making an error every game, and he's making a goal a goal-causing error every game. And if you look at the stats generally, it might be way off the chart now because the Premier League has gone crazy this season. But generally speaking, if you concede a goal, you're up, up against it, right? It's common sense. So if you know you're going to concede on every single game, come what may, then you're going to be in big trouble. And and it must be so frustrating if you're a Chelsea fan because, I mean, barring they had a game against Palace where they were good and they, conceded, they, they, had, they kept a clean sheet. Uh, but in the league... Where's the clean sheet come from apart from that? I don't think they've had one. one. So, you know, it is what it is.
0: Uh, I just think that for Chelsea fans, it must be quite frustrating because they've spent all of this money on all these fantastic players. And going forward, they look so good. The link up between Chilwell and Werner and some of the balls he was putting in for any of the attacking players in this Chelsea team was actually really good to watch and really entertaining football. But then defensively, it's the same old issues, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So something something interesting emerged from Lampard's post-match press conference um, on Saturday. And it was that he... How
0: he, do you do those presses? Are you on Zoom? On
1: Zoom, mm. yeah. So yeah. where do you sit? So we, we just say so where we're sat. We right, get sent but, in but he's meeting. in a different room. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so right after he does, you basically on the sideline, he comes over, he goes to like a little room and does the does the zoom call on a laptop little laptop stop um, laughing no i'm not laughing <laughs> um so behave bas- yourself
2: you two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> basically he um he he was saying that he he preempted what salam Sal were going to do in the second half and so he told his players look they're going to after getting that after that ing's goal right before half time they're going to you know push up at you they're going to try and press you in your own box and they're going to do it really well so what you need to do is, you need to, we need to stop playing these intricate passes that were working in the first half, and we need to just go longer every now and again. Don't be afraid to go long. And it's something that we've talked about on this podcast that while you can you can be all fancy as fancy as you want, you know, at the back, but when push comes to shove, if you need to go long, don't be afraid to go long. Yeah. So he was basically telling them, like, you are good players, but just leave that at the door for now. Let's try. Let's just get through this period. And they didn't do that. Mm. Now the flip side of that is that Chelsea's third goal was the product of playing that intricate football, and it worked really well for them. But ultimately, they ended up giving away, giving away the ball twice in that second half and Southampton profited from it. And I wondered, actually, because Hassan Hoot was obviously working with a um, lower, you know, in terms of financial very lower group of players, and certainly not as high quality as Chelsea's. But he's got a tune out of them and he's got them to raise their game. I
0: absolutely love him as a manager. Yeah. Something about him, he's just, he's got the right sort of like, attitude, the presence. Mm. he
1: looks
2: like an ITV detective. Uh,
0: he's just a geezer, isn't he? And they and they
1: really respond to him. And I was wondering, actually, is it easier for a manager to raise players above their, you know, above their station to get them playing at a higher level than it is to reduce a superstar to play a bit within himself and therefore, you know, fit better into a system? Because mm. Lampard's probably quite a good person to do that. Players respect him because of the career he had, you know, three league titles, Champions League, and whatever. But, that seems to be the issue that he's having, that he's not unable to articulate what he thinks. And that seems to be, you know, a problem that we can throw on the fact that he hasn't found a secure system for this side. And, you know, obviously that will take time. He's not had that long with these players and preseason was what it was. And even the international break over the last two weeks wouldn't have helped him. But it just felt, it just seemed like suddenly there was like a new issue that he had to address there.
2: I think I think what it comes down to mate is the idea and you touched on it both of you with Hassan Hutu is that they're a very well organized well drilled team who are probably great in the sum of their parts, and you know that can count for a, a heck of a lot when you 're coming ag- up against a team of really good quality um skillful talented players who just seem a bit disjointed mm. i mean don 't forget he 's brought a lot of players in he's brought in um you know he's he's got an issue with the keeper. The keeper doesn't start if, it, if it, all things been equal. That keeper doesn't start. Chilwell's come in and he's new. Um, he's he's experimenting with different centre backs because different players have moved on. Um, he's got Havertz who's new. He's got Werner who's new. He's got Pulisic who's been a bit there a bit longer, but it's essentially new because he's had injury problems and he's only still trying to find his way. Hasner seems to be very good at getting teams together and drilling them and getting them to perform roles that they need to perform for the good of the team. Shout out to Ings for going around the keeper. You don't see that as much hmm. anymore. Should see more of it. Um,
0: and Theo Walcott.
2: And Theo Walcott getting an assist Love as well. It. Getting an assist. Good so to see him back at Southampton,
0: wasn't it? All right, let's move on. Um, just to touch on one final thing before we go. Uh, it's a big story from the weekend. Um, Sergio Aguero addressing Sean Macielis the referee, in Manchester City's 1-0 victory over Arsenal. What did you both make of this incident?
2: Um. Do you want me to go first, Wish? Yeah. You're yeah, literally sure. looking at me playing with your hair. <laughs> you want me to go first? Um,
0: Flirting with you, yeah,
2: a bit you. quite coquettish. Actually, <laughs> try, try and put me off. <laughs> Cameras are on, so you can prove that. Go on. Um, I, to be honest, it might well be because I was half bored to death because it wasn't the best game. And I'm, I'm, I'm someone who sat through Crystal Palace Brighton. By the way, uh, as well. Hey,
0: hey, 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 hey. I, my fr- was, I was a state for that whole hundred minutes. As, as
2: my friend Steve Grant said, that game, the Crystal Palace Brighton game, should have been on pay per view. By what, I'm, by which I mean, everyone who sat through it should be paid. Um, <laughs>
0: I was uh, raging for the majority of it.
2: So City Arsenal for me wasn't a great game. So it might have been because I was half ball to death, but I saw it in real time and you know it says whatever it says about me. I and I accept that. It didn't flag for me at the time. I I I I genuinely don't think um that um Aguero wouldn't have done that had it been a male assistant referee and all the rest of it. I I think that's probably what he would have done generally anyway. Um but I have to acknowledge obviously the reaction that's 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 come out afterwards has been you know, pretty, pretty vociferous and and particularly among a lot of women working in the game. So, and I accept that. So, um, to me, it's a bit of a difficult one because I, 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 maybe I'm just unaware, but I think you do see players touching the shoulder of a referee or an assistant referee when they're trying to get past them or whatever. Um, and I didn't, I didn't see it as a thing that flagged for me instantly. But then Vicious said to me before that other people he knows have, have kind of recoiled at it and seen it in a different way. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where, it depends on your outlook, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I don't think this is necessarily a football thing per se. I don't think the the outrage has been because oh, it's um, it should be a yellow card. I, I think this is quite a good example of how, as we, you know, as the game becomes more open to different types of people, and that includes women now, and when we get more female officials and coaches, we're going yeah. to be in situations where uh, some societal issues around, say, you know, being tactile, how players are tactile and also what that represents outside of football itself. And I think if you, if you actually break down a lot of the reaction that has been on Twitter that has rallied against Sergio Aguero, it has come from people who recognise that touch or rather see that touch and it elicits a certain reaction of them. And the majority of the reaction that I've I've seen or certainly that has been against Aguero was of, I don't know, I suppose of, of women being kind of recognizing how uncomfortable they've been in similar situations yeah. Yeah. and it goes beyond football I think and I, I think that's something we're probably going to see more in the game as as I said before yeah as it becomes more open but you know you know Jules you're the only woman in the room <laughs> if, um...
0: well I think the thing is is I think it's fair that different people can have a different opinion on this and that some people will look at it and find it offensive some people will look at it and and not for me personally I don't see it as a big deal at all and I'm I'm with Luke in that I think Sergio Aguero would have possibly acted the same if it was a male linesman. We all know that Shawn Macielas is one of the best referees in the game. She is, regardless of whether she's a man or a woman, she is one of the best referees in the Premier League and she regularly gets a lot of decisions right that you'd think that a lot of other referees would get wrong. And the one thing that um, I would say about this incident is that I think it's been heightened so much because there is so much talk about how women are treated in the men's game. And I think this has just been over exaggerated. And um, Sean Macielis herself doesn't like being singled out as, you know, one of the only female referees in the English game. She doesn't like being singled out as that. She's actually done a podcast with my best friend Becky, and it's, it's being released this week. It was recorded before this weekend's incident. So unfortunately, we won't hear, hear exactly her take on this, but her take in general, being a female referee in the men's game, is. She wants to be seen as equal. I know that she would want this incident completely downplayed. She wouldn't want this to be heightened in any way because she just sees herself as a referee in the game, not as a female referee in the game. She Mm. says herself in my mate's podcast, I have to pass a men's fitness test. If I want to be on a men's league, I pass the men's fitness test and I wouldn't have it any other way. She doesn't want to be seen as any different to any others. And I think this incident, he wasn't aggressive to her. Some people would say it was maybe a little bit patronising. But I think he would have yeah. been equally patronising to to another line <laughs> in the situation the because yeah. he was annoyed yeah. about yeah. the outcome of of yeah. the, the the decision in that in that sense. So I just think that this has been way blown out of proportion. I can understand why some people would find it a bit offensive, but for me, I don't have a problem with it one bit. And I think that sometimes with these decisions, there is too much made of it because it's a female. Mm.
1: Yeah, sure, and I, I think the point that that I'd like to make is I think we are going to see a bit more of this. I think we are going to see this crossover of culture and and other issues coming into football when we're we're going to basically football fans are going to be in a position, you know, the majority of them male are going to be in a position where they are going to rally against something in the name of football when actually there's going to be a wide a wider discussion at play here, mm. and it's always going to get diluted, to, you know, naturally. The Twitter reaction was a bit. Over the top, um, mm-hmm. especially people defending um, Sergio well, Aguero. Well, Twitter is was... its
2: own worst enemy because everything gets blown yeah. massively out of proportion, and and before you know it, within about half an hour, it's 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 just ridiculous. Yes. I mean, it's yeah. interesting, exactly. Jules, that you've got clearly got contacts in that kind of in that camp with Sean and with with Becky, and 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 that's a really interesting insight. I mean, I mean, the one thing I would also say, which I forgot to say earlier, is that. We all know that Charmeille is, is a brilliant official, and there's no there's no need to keep reiterating that. But she is, and she well knows that if she, the, the, the laws of the game do provide for if, a, if an official is, is intimidated or, or treated with disrespect by a player, she can just flag the referee with the button and exactly. bring him over, and, mm. and then they can be dealt with. And I'm no doubt if she had a problem with it, she would have done that because, as, as you've already said, because she's a great official. So, look, it's early to say. We'll see what comes out of it, but um, yeah. yeah. I felt Pep Guardiola didn't really kind of help things either. But then Guardiola is...
0: He's always going to defend his player, though, isn't he?
2: He is always going to defend his player. But also, I don't want to be disrespectful to Guardiola either because I'm trying not to be disrespectful to anyone.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but he's also quite weird. And he, and his <laughs> takes on things are strange. I mean, you look at the stuff he did with Nathan Redmond, which we always joke about on here. Look at the some of the behaviour he's had on <laughs> All or Nothing. He's just a bit of an odd guy. Yeah. And... It's not It's not relevant for him to say, oh, Sergio's the nicest person I've ever met in my life. It's irrelevant. Right? It is irrelevant. It's, uh, but, you know, it, it, I guess that's just how Pep yeah. sometimes sees things.
0: I think that this whole situation was heightened because it is a time where a lot of things about women in football is heightened. And I think that's OK, because I think that, of course, when, when women are treated in a sexist way especially in in the industry and being a female in the industry and having experienced that, I do believe it should be heightened and it should be talked about. But I also feel like not enough focus is on the positives of being a female in the football industry as well. And there are a lot of positives out there and they they should be spoken of more often. I've been treated amazingly by everyone here at Football Ramble and in other workplaces that I work in. And I think that not enough women speak positively about being a female in the industry. And I think that Sean is a perfect advocate of that. More Premier League football tonight. It keeps on coming. Leeds versus Wolves. West Brom versus Burnley. Tomorrow, Marcus, Andy and Jim will be talking about both of those matches, I'm sure. And also previewing the return of the Champions League group stages starts tomorrow. Exciting times. Luke, say bye. Goodbye. Fish, say bye. Goodbye. Bye, boys. See you soon.